welcome to everybody who's watching via Facebook Live. Uh, we have people, wow, it's amazing what's happening with that. And we can see that we might have 65 people in church on a Sunday. And then we'll have another 85 people who, who watch it during the week through Facebook. So it's quite interesting to see that. Uh, so I want to welcome these people as well. You are with us in spirit, but maybe not in body, but that's okay. And if you are watching this later on uh, through the recording, or maybe there are people who listen to this online through iTunes or through Podbean, which is accessible through our website, that's great as well. Today, we are taking a little pause from the series that we were doing called Didn't See It Coming, and we're going to talk about baptism today. Uh, specifically about water baptism. Uh, how many of you would answer the question, yes, I have been baptized in water? Can you put your hand up? All right, how many of you would say, yes, I've been baptized in water, but as a baby, does that count? Put your hand up. Okay, so interesting mixed bag, all right? So we're going to talk specifically about water baptism today, and I want to Make it as interactive with you as you can. If you say, oh, well, I've been baptized in water already. This is going to be boring for me. I guarantee you it won't be boring. Uh, you're going to learn something as well. And the reason why we are doing this is because we are going to have a water baptismal service on the 10th of November. I will give you that date again during the message, but we are going to do that. And so rather than have a separate class for everyone who's interested, I figure we'll just make it the whole message for this morning and learn about water baptism, perhaps in a fresh new way. For those of you who have heard it before, maybe you'll hear it a little bit differently today. But I really want the attention of people who are interested in being baptized in water. And as I said to you last week, I know who you are, but I'm not going to embarrass you too, too much this morning, uh, but I really want to challenge you in this whole endeavor. And I'm going to do it in a really simple way this morning and talk about four different angles, four different portrayals of water baptism in the Bible, uh, specifically in the New Testament. So if you have a Bible, this would be a great time to take it out. Uh, maybe you have it electronically, maybe you have a paper one. I'm going to go through it real, real slowly, these things, but this will be a good way for you to, you know, kind of if you're new to the Bible, to find chapter and verse and this kind of thing, because we're going to go through four different, I'll call them angles, on the subject of water baptism, all right? And I will, uh, time permitted, we'll do some questions as well, uh, so that we can get a little bit of feedback going in the room. Sound like a plan? All right, all two of you. Yeah, okay, good, good. Uh, I find that there's so much confusion about baptism today, about water baptism uh, in particular, uh, especially um, in this province uh, because of the, the heavy history with the Roman Catholic Church and many, many people, if you ask them the question, baptism, oh yeah, I was baptized when I was an infant you know, into the Roman Catholic Church. And so there's so much confusion about what it is what it isn't, is it necessary, is it not necessary, is it something weird, is it something strange? So I really want to try and make it clear and make it simple for you today, again, using these four different little angles. So angle number one, getting right into it, uh, we'll look at John, we call him John the Baptist, right? Do you remember John? 
from the, from the pages of the Gospels, um, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. You know, this is the beginning of the Gospel stories. You'll see this in Matthew. You'll see this in Luke. You'll see this in Mark. You'll even see a little bit of it in John. And you have John the Baptist coming there, uh, John, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. And what does he say? His first words, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, and, uh, and Matthew tells us that this is the guy who Isaiah was referring to, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And John, we're told about what he wears and what he eats. His clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Have any of you ever eaten locusts before? Maybe you've traveled internationally. No locusts? Any of you ever eaten crickets? Grasshoppers? Praying mantis? Just kidding. Anyway, he ate locusts and wild honey. Do you have any idea why Matthew tells us this detail and Mark tells us as well? Any idea why? It's a big, big clue. If you're a, if you're a first century Jew and you read this or you see this guy doing this and you see what he's wearing and what he's eating... It's a major, major clue. Your eyes are open wide. Do you know why? Because he is doing something that a very famous Old Testament person did. A very famous one. His name starts with E. E-L. E-L-I. Now you've got two choices. E-L-I-J or E-L-I-S-H. Right? So Elijah dressed like this, and ate this. And this is a tip-off that the ministry of this man, John, would somehow be like that of Elijah. And even in the, even in the Old Testament, it's even true today in the Jewish, the Jewish thought, uh, Elijah, if you'll recall, he didn't die. Remember, he was taken up into the sky in this kind of supernatural whirlwind, do you remember? And there's a prediction at the end of the book of Malachi that Elijah would return and he would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and so on. And so the Elijah that was to come, we're told even by Jesus, is none other than this John. It's not that he's like reincarnated, it's that his, his ministry and the way he behaves is just like this John the Baptist. Interesting. People went out to him in verse 5 from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan and confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. First instance of baptism that we see in the New Testament. But when, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the ultra-religious groups there, coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Any of you ever seen a brood of vipers? You know what that means? That means a whole bunch of snakes. You ever seen like a snake pit maybe on television or in a movie or something? Well, this is like the worst insult that you can say. He's calling these people, these ultra-religious people, this big brood of snakes. Wow. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with, there's that word again, repentance. And do not think to yourselves, well, 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 we have Abraham as our father. He says, no, that's not good enough. Out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
And, uh, and then he says, John specifically, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, referring to Jesus, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then there's a statement, a very uh, statement about judgment and about, about wrath to come. What's the point in all of this? The angle that John gives us about baptism is the angle of repentance. Now, again, if you're back in that time and, and you're Jewish, which is the whole audience back then, uh, there was a type of baptism that existed. Some people, when they look at baptism and they see, oh, wow, it just jumps off the pages and it's this brand new thing that John is bringing into being and this is why people are responding and people are getting baptized. Well, not if you're a first century Jew and not if you're a Jew today. Uh, the ceremony is still used today in Judaism and it's used in particular for people who are not Jewish when they become Jewish. So what, when this happens, usually, is if you've got a Jewish person and they want to marry a non-Jewish person and they want to do it the Jewish way. <laughs> so they want a Jewish wedding. They want their household to be Jewish. They're Jewish, but the person that they're marrying is not. They're a non-Jewish person, or the Bible would use the term a Gentile. What that person has to do is convert, if you will, to Judaism. I have people in my family who have done it. Uh, I come from Jewish roots, as you know, and I know I have a cousin who's, you know, as Jewish as can be, as Jewish as I am, right? Get the long nose like me and everything, and, and he met this lady, and the lady was not Jewish. And so she had to convert, if you will, to Judaism, and part of that whole process involves like a baptism. They don't use that word, but they go into a pool that's called a mikvah. And this is, a, this is a, a very important part of the whole thing where, the, where they're now declared, okay, they have made a full conversion to Judaism, and the mikvah represents that, you see? And so here you have John the Baptist addressing an entirely Jewish audience, and he's saying to that Jewish audience, you need to be baptized for repentance, you need to show that you are turning from your sin. And he, he talks about confession. People were confessing their sins and being baptized. You are confessing and repenting. And this is illustrated by the fact that you're going into this water and coming out. So for him, the angle is repentance. Do you know what this word means, repentance? Can you shout out some answers to me? To repent. Yeah, to turn around about faith. It's perfect. It's, it's you're going in one way. You're going in one direction. And you repent. You turn. And you go in a different direction. This is a, there's a change of mind. There's a change of heart that takes place. This is why John says to even the religious people, he says, you know, you guys are hypocrites. You're a big pack of snakes. You need to show, show fruit of your repentance. It's not just you say, you say, you say, you need to show this. You can read it in Luke and he's saying, well, this is what you need to do to show that you have turned and you're walking in the other direction. So the baptism here that he's showing is a baptism that indicates repentance. And you don't have a complete understanding of Christianity if you don't have a basic foundation of repentance. 
all right? It's not enough that, well, you know, my life is a mess, and if I turn to Jesus, my life will get better, <laughs> okay? It's not, that's, that's an incomplete picture. Your life is a mess because of sin. That's why it's a mess. And when we turn from our sin and when we turn to Christ, this is repentance, all right? So the foundation of it is based on this idea that there has to be a change, a turning, and this is illustrated by the repentance. Do you understand so far? So here's where the confusion comes in. People think that, well, when I get baptized in water, then it somehow washes away all of my sin. It's almost like magic. So I'll go into the water and something will happen and it will somehow cleanse me and I'll come up and I'll just be like clean and there'll be a, a little halo around my head and there'll be lights shining on my head like I'll be all white and you'll hear voices in the background, oh, you know, and that's baptism. That's not baptism, that's water. <laughs> That'll make you wet, all right? But there has to be this idea of, well, I'm, I'm going in the water and I'm getting wet because that's an illustration of something. There's been repentance in my own personal life, my own personal journey to God. Do you understand? So it's, that's, that's the basic point here. And you see this word pop up over and over again. And John is saying it's not just for Gentiles who are becoming Jews. It's for even these ultra-religious Jewish people, there needs to be repentance that takes place. That's the first angle. Next angle, and we see it right away, is from the life of none other than Jesus himself, right? So this is just the very next story. Jesus comes from Galilee, which is the north. He comes down to the Jordan to be what? Baptized by John, Jesus himself. And John tries to stop him. The two are, the two are kind of distant cousins. And John tries to stop him saying, well, hold on. I need to be baptized by you. Like you've got nothing to repent of. Why do you come to, to me? And Jesus' reply is interesting. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. So he takes Jesus into the Jordan River. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, which probably means he was dipped in the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him and a voice from heaven. Imagine, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Whoa, you have an amazing thing going on there. So first of all, Jesus is getting baptized. He's got no sin to repent of. He's got nothing to confess to John, but he does it, in his words, for us to fulfill all righteousness. It's an exemplary thing that he's doing. If him, who is the, he is the center of the whole salvation story, the center of the idea that people need to confess and repent from their sin, he will, he will ultimately present himself as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all of the world. If he himself is not baptized, well, there, there could be a problem with his credibility. There could be, this is a, an exemplary thing that he's doing. This is a leadership thing, but it's also a statement of lordship, and I'll use that term. Um, when we get baptized in water, what we're doing is we're doing exactly what Jesus did. So we're following his example. 
And this is part of the whole idea of salvation. When you come to Christ, what you're doing is you're saying, well, I'm not the king of my own heart anymore. I'm not the master of my own destiny anymore. If you picture your heart's got a little throne in it, you know, authors have done this in the past. Imagine a little throne inside your heart. Well, before you make a decision to follow Christ, you're on that throne. But when you make the decision to follow Christ, you're saying you want him on that throne. That's a statement of lordship. That's a statement of, okay, Jesus is not just a person to me. Jesus is Lord to me, and this is, and I follow his example, and not only do we see this here in the story, we see that we've got God the Father speaking in an audible voice, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased, and you've got God the Spirit appearing in the form of a visible dove. People apparently saw this, and this is a very clear declaration. This is who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is Lord, and he's identified there. You've you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all distinct and working at the same time, but for the same purpose to show who Jesus is. Some people who who come from uh, backgrounds where there's, you know, they have problems with this idea of the Trinity. Well, here you have an example of all three persons of the Trinity, visible or audible and working distinctly, but for the same purpose. It's an amazing passage, but the illustration here is that, listen, when you get baptized, you're showing that you're doing something that Jesus did, you're following in his footsteps, and you're showing that he is the king of your life. Uh, not you anymore. And this is illustrated again uh, by baptism in water, right? You're tracking so far. Okay, I need to just pause and tell you, uh, when you're baptized in water, it does not mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, well, okay, now I'm finally there. The number one excuse that I have heard over the years, by far, when it comes to baptism in water, is I am not ready. (laughs) How can I know if I'm ready? I'm not ready, Pastor. I'm not ready. And I've baptized a lot of people, probably 250 people in the course of 17 plus years. And I have heard that story over and over again. I'm not ready. Can I just tell you, you will never be ready to be baptized. It's not a question of whether or not you're ready. It's a question of A, whether or not there's been repentance that's that's taken place. B, whether you're the king on the throne or Jesus is the king on the throne. C, uh, this is a response, next angle, a response following belief. All right, it's an act of obedience. So uh, we turn to the book of Acts, which is the story of the new church and the people of the church and how God's moving in these people and how what, what the, the whole action that's taking place. I like to call it the book of action. And you see right at the beginning there, Acts chapter 2, you have a moment there where you have thousands and thousands of people who are descending upon the city of Jerusalem for a Jewish feast, the Feast of, uh, of Weeks, 
or we call it Pentecost. They still celebrate this. Some Jews anyway. It's called Shavuot. It's a, it's a harvest holiday, and they would bring, they'd have to go to Jerusalem, and they'd have to bring a special harvest and wave it before God. Uh, today, it more commemorates the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, blah, blah, blah. But back then, it was, it was for that purpose, and they're all gathering in Jerusalem. You got people from all over the place, not just uh, near, but far away. And an amazing thing happens. You've got this wind that, that people seem to hear and there's fire and it separates and there's these tongues of fire that go on these people, 120 of them. And the people who are visiting from out of town hear the local folks speaking in these languages that they couldn't have learned from anywhere else. And they're going, this is impossible. What's going on? Maybe these people are drunk. And you've got Peter who gets up and preaches this, this message uh, that leads to 3,000 plus people making a decision for Christ. It's quite something. So he, he's giving his whole, his whole message there in Acts chapter 2. You can read the whole thing for yourself. And the people who are listening to this, and these are all Jewish people, and, and Peter's quoting from Joel, the Old Testament prophet. He's quoting from the Psalms. And the message brings a tremendous conviction to these people. And they believe what Peter is saying about Jesus. They believe that Peter is right in saying that this period of time has now come, this period of the last days that Joel talked about and how the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and all these things would start happening. And they believe what he's saying about Jesus, that he's the son of God. And they're very convicted by this. And the author, Luke, he says that they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles that were there, what shall we do? And Peter's answer is, repent, there it is again from John, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off referring to Gentile people, for all whom the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he warned them. This was a message that, again, it cut them to the heart, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized the same day, the same day. About 3,000 probably plus were added to their number that day. 3,000 baptisms in one day. And right away from hearing this message from Peter that cut them to the heart. Now, this is what we tend to do with this passage. I've had people who, who I've debated with and they say, ah, this means you have to be baptized to be saved. Because it says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so, okay, so that means I have to be baptized to be saved. Oh, no. And then I've heard people and they say, oh, no, 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 no. It's See what it says, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Aha. So when you're baptized, you shouldn't do it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, but you should do it only in the name of Jesus. See, 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 that's what the passage is teaching. Okay, you're, th those, those views are both wrong. <laughs> what the passage is teaching is you, you make a statement and you make a response based on the fact that you believed. These people believed and they were baptized. I mean, they were likely scared out of their wits 
Like the things that Peter were say, was saying to them would have probably frightened them and they probably would have thought the wrath of God is going to come. These are the days that Joel predicted and they were probably more afraid than anything else, but they made a decision. They were like, we're going to follow up this response, this, this belief with a response. And this is the basic pattern that we see in the book of Acts. It starts here and it continues example after example after example. We're reading all kinds of stuff into this passage when we try to force it to say oh a person must be baptized to be saved or oh it has to be done this way in the name of Jesus only and we we read that stuff into the passage but that's not the point the point is when you believe you show it by a response and this is obedience it's amazing to me that they're baptized the same day can I just tell you just in passing you do not need to be baptized in water to go to heaven. I'll say it again. It is not a work that is necessary for your salvation. If you never get baptized in water ever, 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 it is not a disqualification from heaven. It is a bit strange, however. Because the normal pattern that we see in the New Testament is people show their belief by this response of baptism. But it does not disqualify you from entrance into heaven. How many of you know the story of the criminal on the cross, right? There's two criminals who are crucified on either side of Jesus. One of them uh, believes, one of them does not. To the one that believes, what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth. Today, you must get off this cross and you must find some water immediately. And then you will be with me in paradise. Does he say that? No. He says, I tell you the truth. Today, not tomorrow, not in a thousand years. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. So it, the issue is not, well, the water is necessary for you to be saved. No, it isn't. But it is an illustration that you are. So it is a bit bizarre, if I may say, like 21st century Christians are a bit strange. We believe and then we wait 25 years to be baptized. It is a bit odd. Like New Testament people would look and say, you guys got water everywhere, but you don't. You don't. We, and we had very little water, like we're in the Middle East. Okay, We've got the Jordan River. We've got the Sea of Galilee. Uh, maybe if we're around the Dead Sea, you know, a lot of salt in there. That might be interesting. But apart from that... You guys got water everywhere. What's your excuse? So you see this normative pattern in the book of Acts, belief, response, belief, response. So j just a few examples. Acts chapter 8, you have um, uh, a persecution that takes place in the early church. The followers of Jesus are dispersed. Um, you have Philip. He's one of the, the new Grecian Jews. So he's Jewish, but he's got a Greek background. And he, he has... Uh, He's used by God in amazing supernatural ways. Um, and you see that even in Samaria, and there's, a, there's an old long story about a rift between the Samaritans uh, and the, the people of Judea. But in any case, he ends up in Samaria. And the people, he's, he's on a gospel presentation, if you will, and the people are believing. They believed Philip, Acts chapter 12, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 12. They believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ. And when they believed, they were what? Baptized, both men and women. 
Simon himself, and Simon is a, is a magician, a sorcerer, a guy who practices the occult that we meet in the story. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. You see later on that this guy Simon actually has a bit of a crooked heart there, and he wants to buy uh, power as as it said there from uh, Philip, but that's that's a different angle on the story. But the point is, people believe, people are baptized. Even in this place, Samaria, which, you know, people from the south did not go up there to Samaria. There's this old rift. Belief, be baptized, belief, response. Uh, Acts chapter 8, again, the mil- ministry of Philip. Um, here he runs into a treasurer. Um, a, a guy who had gone to Jerusalem. He's um, he's from Ethiopia. He he's part of the Kandake, uh, which you have to go and figure out what that is back then. But this is a guy who had a very very high st- standing in his particular culture, and he had traveled to Jerusalem. He's on his way back to Gaza, and Philip is told. Uh, supernaturally to go and talk to this guy. He's on a chariot. Probably there are many people around. And the guy is reading, this Ethiopian treasurer, he's reading out of the book of Isaiah, uh, this passage about speaking prophetically about Jesus. And he doesn't know who Isaiah is talking about. And so uh, he asks Philip, who's gone up to him to engage a conversation with him. He says, well, who's this prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? And Philip says, well, let me tell you who he's talking about. And he starts the whole story about Jesus. And there's this moment, apparently, of faith in this Ethiopian uh, treasurer's heart because he says, as they're walking along there, they come to some water. And he says to Philip, he says, look, there's some water here. What can stand in the way of my being, what, baptized? So he hears the message and he responds immediately. And so they say, well, stop the chariot. And Philip and this Ethiopian uh, go down into the water. Philip baptizes them. And you see that amazingly, verse 39 there, as soon as they come up out of the water, uh, Philip vanishes. It's like Star Trek. It's like he's teleported, you know, to another place. I mean, you can read it for yourself. He appears in a place called Azotus. And then he travels uh, up to Caesarea. But in any case, you see the same response. Belief, respond by being baptized. You see it in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 18. This vicious, vicious persecutor of the new church. He's having Christians thrown in prison. He's having them executed. He oversees the brutal stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And this guy, Jesus appears to and totally reverses his whole life and calls him into, I mean, he is the greatest church planter, evangelist, apostle, teacher, pastor. I mean, the, the, the reach and the impact of Paul can never, never be overstated. And you see, even Paul, he believes in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, he is baptized in water. We see it again in Acts chapter 10. Here you have the ministry of Peter, and Peter has this amazing coordinated meeting with a bunch of non-Jewish people, Italian, any Italians here? 
Ah, okay, so you'll know this story, Jonathan. So, so you, the, the story of Cornelius and his household and, you know, him and his household and the life of Peter are kind of woven together. And there's all these coincidences that lead to this meeting. And, and Peter begins to teach these people, Cornelius and his household, the gospel story. And an amazing thing happens when he's doing that. He notices that these people, they start to experience the same thing that Peter did way back in Acts chapter 2. They are uh, speaking in, in uh, tongues and praising God. So they're speaking in all these other languages, the same thing that, that Peter had seen in Acts chapter 2. And Peter is stunned by this because he is saying, look at this. This is an indication for sure that God has accepted these Gentile people, these non-Jewish people. And I know for sure that God has accepted them because the same thing that happened to us way back in Acts chapter 2 is happening to them right now. Look at that. You say, well, what's with the tongues? Forget about that. That's a message for another day. The point is it was proof positive in Peter's mind that these people were definitely definitely accepted by God at that moment the faith light on their dashboard went on and he's like I've got a supernatural sign here that's happening it's the same one that happened to us wow so what did Peter say well wait 15 years to baptize them no Peter said well we can't stop them from being baptized in water. No one can stand in the way. Look, they've even received the Holy Spirit the same way that we did in Acts chapter 2. So he says, stop the, stop the show right here and get them baptized now. And it says in verse 48, he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Belief response, belief response, belief response. Acts chapter 16, we meet uh, uh, a lady by the name of Lydia. She's a dealer in fine cloth in the city of Philippi. We're told she's a worshiper of God, but she is definitely not uh, um, uh, baptized in water. And she's not born again. It says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The faith light went on on the dashboard of her heart when she and the members of her household were what? Baptized. She invited us to her home and she says, come to my house if you consider me a believer in the Lord. Wow. Very, very young in her faith. Very didn't know a whole lot. But the faith light went on on the dashboard of her heart. The Lord opened her heart to respond, and she's baptized. Belief response, belief response. Acts chapter 16, again in Philippi, you've got Paul and Silas in jail after performing an exorcism on a young adult woman. Uh, you can read the story for yourself. They're thrown into prison. And uh, an amazing things ha thing happens where the, the prison doors are broken open supernaturally and everybody is, is kind of in a state of panic. You've got the Philippian jailer who, who is in a blind panic because he knows that if these prisoners get out and his leader hears about it, he'll be executed on the spot according to Roman law. And he is trembling before Paul and Silas. The prison doors are broken open. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
because he's obviously heard the message of salvation. Paul and Silas were teaching it in that jail. They were worshiping God in that jail. He says, tell me what I must do to be saved. I have seen something supernatural happen here. Prison doors just don't open by themselves. The response, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. Notice he doesn't say, believe in the Lord Jesus and, you know, be baptized, be circumcised, speak in tongues, do all this stuff. No, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The faith light must turn on on the dashboard of your heart. That is what is required. It is not by any work. It is not by anything magical. It's by you having faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved, you and your household. Wow. So God wants the whole house, not just him. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And apparently they believed as well because at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his whole, whole household were what? Baptized. Belief response. The jailer brought them into his house, cooks them a meal, and he'd fill, he was filled with joy, the Bible says, because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So we see it's a normative pattern in the book of Acts. You respond. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you do all this extra stuff. It doesn't matter if you, you know, if you speak in tongues or not. I mean, there, there's people who say that. Oh, no, that isn't true. The faith light turns on. You believe. And you respond by being baptized in water. And finally, it is an identification with Jesus. It is not enough to say, well, repentance has been there. Yeah, yeah, I'm following Jesus. He got baptized and so I'll follow. Yeah, it's obedience. All those things are good. But you must realize that there's an identification with Jesus himself that takes place. And we learn this from Acts chapter 19. Um, we see uh, uh, Paul is in the city of Ephesus at that moment, and he finds some, Acts 19, verse 1, some disciples and asks them a curious question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So presumably you believed. The faith light on the dashboard of your heart has gone on. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And people wonder, well, what's he mean by that? We're not sure. But their answer is no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Oh, strange. So Paul says, well, what baptism did you receive then? And they say, well, John's baptism. And here Paul says something that really brings clarity. He says, well, let me tell you, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So his angle was you turn from your sin, you confess, you repent, and that's good. This is what John is indicating in the way that he's baptizing. But he told the people, John did, according to Paul, to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. So you've got to identify with Jesus. It's not just that you've repented. It's not just that you're obedient. It's not just that even because Jesus was baptized, you'd be baptized. No, it's also because you literally are identifying with him through his death and resurrection. You are showing that you have died to sin and you're raised to new life in him. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. So this idea of the old me has died, 
The new me has come to life, illustrated through baptism. I identify with Jesus through his death and resurrection. So on hearing this, Paul baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he placed his hands on them, curious thing happens. This whole thing of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they too, just like the people in Acts 11, speak in these other languages and even prophesy. That aside, the point being, there's an identification with Jesus there. These are people who were baptized John's way, but John's way wasn't the full story. This is now an identification with Jesus, and you need to be clear on that. So those are the four little angles on baptism that we can draw from the pages of the New Testament. You can read all that stuff in detail on your own. I've gone through it really, really quickly today. Um, Before I get into the practicals here and challenge you in this room, I wonder through all of this that you've heard if you have any questions, and they can be really weird ones, all right? And I've entertained many of them over the years, heard all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stories. I've heard of people who've been baptized Catholic, Mormon, and they say, well, should I be baptized again? I've heard all kinds of stuff. So please, will you fire away and uh, let me know if you have any questions about any of this so far. Going once. Shy, shy people. Yes. 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 No, the, but the point is... Um, people who who insist on the Jesus only way, they do so because they refuse to acknowledge God is a trinity. So they say it is not good to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, and I talked about this last week, what we call the Great Commission. So his last words, if you will, uh, to the disciples or some of his last words, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So people who insist on the Jesus only way, what the, the reason why they're doing that is they say, no, 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 no. The, the, we believe that only Jesus is really God. Sometimes he manifests himself as the Father, sometimes as the Holy Spirit, but there is no Trinity. And this would be a bad reason to be baptized in the name of Jesus only. All right. When I baptize people, I always say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, well, because that's what Jesus said. So I just copy him. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, again, as long as people aren't doing it because they say, listen, we're, we're making it public that we're rejecting the Trinity here, that would be a problem, okay? Then you've got the nature of God messed up. But, I mean, you know, you see examples of it in the book of Acts, but in the book of Acts, you never see a statement of it's got to be exclusively in the name of Jesus. Remember that, right? They, they don't say that. So, so this is why, you know, it, it, it's as long as people say, well, I've got the nature of God more or less correct. Well, fine. You know, you want to do it in Jesus name. You want to do it in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Fine. You know, but uh, that, that's the rough answer. 
Make sense? Yeah. Anybody else? That's a good question. Yes. Can being baptized in water cast out demons? Well, um, having participated in a couple of casting out of demons uh, over the years, I have done it, uh, I'd say, twice. Um, no, there isn't an automatic, oh, okay, we'll put them in water, and then if they've got demons, the demons are going to somehow run out, you know? And uh, no, I mean, it, demons are there for a reason when they are. Um, and I know that sounds a little bit strange, but again, if you if you're hang around long enough, you do meet people who do have legitimate issues, legitimate real problems with the demonic. There really is a demonic world. This is clearly taught in the pages of the New Testament, um, and I have run into that world before. But it's not, well, we drop them in the water, and all of a sudden, all their problems are solved. Um, it's not like that. It's not like the movies. Uh, you know, a lot of times, people come into churches well, a lot of times there are times when people come into churches and they, they come to church because they know that they have some sort of intrinsic problem with the demonic world. And they come into churches and they sit in churches. So coming to church doesn't make the demons jump out and neither does baptism. Um, so I would say no to that. Uh, having participated in them, I just I wish it was that easy. Good question. Good question. Facebook, did you hear that? So if you come and be baptized in water, it doesn't mean your demons are going to go away. Okay. That's a joke. A joke. Okay. Any, anybody else? Before I get into practicalities, yes. The difference between? Yes. Bad spirits and demons. No, there's no difference. So in the in the, again in the New Testament you see different terms used for these things and I'm I'm not teaching about demonology here but you see you see the word devils used in the English translation unclean spirits evil spirits demons whatever whatever way you want to translate this but this is all referring in generally to the same thing yeah yeah one day we'll do a sermon on demonology yeah one day Keep you keep you in suspense. Aha. Happy Halloween. Yeah. And any anybody else before I get into practicalities? I thought I would slip that in. Yeah. Going once? You sure? Like you you can ask. I, I it can be a weird one. It doesn't matter to me. Going once, going twice. All right. So uh, let me give you practicalities of what we're going to do, and then I'm going to challenge you to get involved in this. We're going to have a water baptismal service on Saturday night. If you put the slide on the screen, Saturday night, November the 10th. Um, it'll be at 6 p.m. and it'll be over at the only other uh, English church that's part of the PAOC that actually owns property in Brossard. Can you believe that? So we're English, part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, which is 1,200 churches Canada-wide, and that church is as well. And we're the only two English in Brossard that are part of that movement or the, of the PAOC. But they've got property. Ha, ha, ha. And we can't bring a tank of water in here. So they've got one. Yes. And so I worked the deal with their pastor, who's actually preached in this church before. And, um, and I, I have worked the deal with him. And he will let us come in there 
uh, on Saturday night, November the 10th at 6. That's the address. Um, it's literally six or seven minutes drive from here, okay? And uh, so take a picture of it on the screen or I'll give it to you afterward. That's when the event will be. Here are some practical tips for you before we finish today. Those of you who should be baptized in water, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. I don't, if you're a senior person, that doesn't matter. Maybe some of you, you have children who they may not be in this room, but they should be baptized. I know there's at least one person like that and their child is of age and they understand what they're doing. Uh, whatever your story is, it may be the faith light, as I say, went on 20, 30, 40 years ago, and you've waited a long, long time. That's okay as well. Uh, if you know that you're the person that should be baptized, young, old, youth, doesn't matter to me, you need to let me know. You need to make a decision. 